It is Sunday morning and you are at Southfield. It was kind of fun this morning watching people pull up. People were getting here early, which was really kind of crazy. <laughs> Normally that last five minutes is a huge rush and instead everybody getting in on time. Well, because if you, if you look around the room, it looks like there's a lot of excitement for... Yeah, for Ohio State. Illinois bo- oh, it's my great. Gosh. The Illinois boys. No, they, uh, we barely snuck it out against Chattanooga. Uh-oh. So Uh-oh. today... Uh, I'm hoping we can keep it within 20. <laughs> I, and I hear it's Houston. Riley yeah. told me Houston. Yeah. Are they Not, any good? That's what I'm saying. I, I hope that we can lose by less than 20. That's by my less goal. Than, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, good. Good. That'll be, that'll be fun. Yeah. Good time. Good stuff. Uh, other than that, good week? Very good. I got to give a quick shout out to um, a lot of our students at Refuge. We've been going through a series called Thieves, and we're talking about mm. sneaky sins that steal our joy, the the rich and satisfying life that Jesus has planned for us. And we have a crew of girls, and they're actually all sitting like right here. Okay. Uh, But they they have been memorizing verses like just wildfire. Wow. When we when we come in, I I have a table set up so they can come up, any student that wants to, they memorize John 10 10 plus a couple other verses. John 10, 10 is like our, our core verse for the, for the series. So they come in, they can say their verse, and then uh, get prizes for it. And this week I tested them a little bit. Instead of walking up, because I know like if I had been challenged in that way, I would have memorized it at some point during the week, forgotten it, and then on the way into refuge, I'd have been like reading, you know, okay, okay, okay. And <laughs> then walk in, up. say it, yeah. and then it's gone again. So this week I made them say it at the end. Oh, and they did it. Wow. It was incredible. Wow. Um, I mean, and one of the passages was literally um, from Genesis chapter 3. It was 10 verses long, and they did it. So, I mean, I'm just, I'm super, super impressed. Very, very good. Very so, good. Again, we, we got just some really, really cool stuff going on with them. And I, I mean, not that everybody's not doing a great job, but Megan is doing, I mean, just like... It, she might as well be reading it. I mean, no stutters, no, she doesn't need any help. It's unbelievable. So great job. Keep it up. <laughs> it was really cute. Um, oh, I forgot his first name now. Little Trular. Jasper. Jasper yeah. Trular. I get a, I get a, they moved, they moved down to Texas. Mm-hmm. And what, he's probably two going on three, mm-hmm. you know, somewhere in that range. And uh, a, a video was relayed to me of him reciting Psalm 23. That's crazy. I mean, it was, I, it was nuts. He's just whipping right through it. I'm like, are you kidding me? Really? Yeah. And, and of course, the way he said it and everything, it was just so moving and beautiful and getting that, hiding that word in the heart. Yeah. Uh, it's so, so vital, so important. So I'm, I'm glad you're, you're pressing us to do that. Oh, that's, that's really amazing. So the, uh, the weekend update came out for you. Again, it came out Friday give you a little bit of a, a, a head start there. And, and one of the things, I talk about exciting stuff. One of the things that's really exciting is the, the number of you that have already said, um, yeah, I would love to be involved in being a small group leader guide. So that number is, I think, inching toward 30, yeah. 30 people. And, you know, you take that, multiply it by six or multiply it by eight, and you start getting an idea of the capacity of kids that we'd be able to have. So um, if you've been thinking about that, I know how this goes. Some of us were like, yeah, I should do that or I want to do that, and then we just kind of keep pushing it off. Uh, end of March. March ends, and, and we're going to be cutting that off. So, so if you've been thinking about getting involved in that, go ahead and sign up. And, and the way that works, just so that you, just in case you're wondering, 
you basically uh, express your interest, and then, and then they'll connect with you and talk through the pieces of how it works, what's going to be involved, whether or not you'd be able to do it or not. So, uh, so it really is that initial step there is an expression of interest, and then, and then we take it from there. Um, rooted, rooted. We're, at, we're on to week seven, which means that we are, we're, we're cranking down, man. We're just, you know, week after week, we're getting closer and closer to, yeah. to Easter, closer and closer to the end of this. And we move now into two weeks that, that talk about serving and getting, getting involved in serving. So those have been uh, really good. I, I think what it's done, it's taken, it's taken a lot of what we've done so far and just made it uh, incredibly, it, it's practical. It's mm-hmm. really practical. So, are you done with high school? You're 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 done with students. Yeah, we finished the book, but we're not done. We <clears throat> okay, are, we're gonna have a a really solid wrap up tonight um, because we did technically finish our material last week, and on Monday I was getting texts like, "Hey, I need a Bible plan. I need something." Um, because, like, I don't know what to do without, yeah, without the book. Yeah, got a habit so, going. Good. Um, so, yeah, the, the habit's there, and I'm, I'm really excited. But we do have, like, a, a rooted wrap tonight. Wrap up? Wrap up. Or wrap. I will not be rapping, if that's what you <laughs> <laughs> So one of the things, it, you know, the, it, I think they've set up the, the curriculum well, that they, they hand leaders a facilitator guide, and you can work through, and gives you questions to ask, and ways to set up the room, and things like that. And, and one of the things in, in this most recent, uh, when we were talking about strongholds in the enemy, came across a paragraph, and it said something about, make sure you hand out the rooted bookmark. And, and our leaders are like scanning everywhere for, you know, root, what are they talking about? So I emailed them and they emailed me a copy of the rooted bookmark. So what we did in this update is gave you two different versions of that in PDF. And, and it goes through and just lists uh, truths from Scripture of who we really are to combat, to combat the lies that live in our head. So... Um, so you can go ahead and copy those off and, and use them however you want. Again, two different versions. Uh, it's the same stuff on it, but just two different formats, uh, ways that you can use that. One of the things I challenged the groups I was in was to think through, think through the way the lie you believe, the lie that leads to your stronghold, uh, affects or impacts the way you serve. Because you start to see that, that the lie really does, it has an impact on everything. Even like what we'll choose to do in a serve, the way we do the serve, how we work with others in the serve. And likewise, when we're living in freedom from the lie, how we'll really serve very differently. So taking, taking one week and applying it to another, it's really, it's great to be able to see the way all those pieces, all those pieces start to come together. So don't forget the, the, the uh, post-its that are all over the room. I mean, it's hard to forget them. They're all over the place. But, but you have all these different ways that we're praying. During a service, you may just look over and remember that that, that square post-it has a name of somebody that you'd like to see some spiritual change take place in their life. And you can, you can pray over that while you're sitting there or when, we come time to, when it comes time to, for communion, as well as just uh, spiritual concerns that we had, things that really our heart burdens are on the wall and you might go ahead and reflect on that. Or even during communion, when we head off to communion, if you want to take your time and just go stand by the wall where your prayer is and pray that, please feel free to continue to lift up those prayers to God. So we're going to be talking about serving today, and uh, one of the absolute classic passages on serving from the, from the lips of Jesus, it took place in a couple of uh, the Gospels recorded, but Mark chapter 10, verses 35 to 45 
Two of the disciples have mom come and ask a question on their behalf, and it causes a little bit of a stir. So I'm going to have you go ahead and read that before we dive into our teaching today. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at the left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? So they took, oh, whoops, I jumped on an entire page. That's interesting. (laughs) We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Thanks so much. I forgot one thing about signing up for small group leading that I was asked to, to say. And so for some of you, 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 you might think that the only way that you can sign up for something is the app, which that is one way you can sign up. But another way is to go to the website and you can actually go to, go to groups and look at it there. The thing, you'll, you'll look at groups and you'll go, wow, everything says rooted on it. You have to go to the serving groups and not just the journey groups. So if you bring down serving groups, you'll find that there. So, all right? So do that today. I'll do it. Awesome. Wonderful. Very good. Father God in heaven, <clears throat> I thank you that you give us the privilege of joining in your work here in this world. You created the entire world without the help of a human being. And then once the creation is completed, in reflection of your image and your character, you say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be just like me. I want you to maintain the earth. I want you to serve other people. I want you to get involved in my work in the world. Not because you couldn't do it yourself. You could, and you could do it far better than we do. But you, you get us involved in that serve to be a, a beautiful, perfect reflection of you and your character. It's a piece of what it means to be created in your image. And so as we look at this opportunity to serve and we, and we try to understand better what you've laid out before us, help us to come at serving not from selfish motives, not from a place where we're looking for what we can get out of it, but help us to have pure motivation and understand more clearly and completely why you've given us this task in the first place so that ultimately we can achieve that goal of looking like and becoming more like Jesus, even through the serve, especially through the serve. Amen. So there's a dynamic that takes place in Scripture that on one hand I get to say I find a little confusing, and on the other hand I totally get it based on how how human beings are wired. Uh, It involves some of the Bible characters and the way they live. 
I'll, I'll give you two of them, David and Solomon, King David and Solomon. King David, we're told, is a man after God's own heart. Now, when I hear that someone's a man after God's own heart, the impression I get from that is, look at the life of King David. You want to live like this. Uh, he's a man after God's own heart. And so I start to look at him. I realize he's a person who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. He's a person who, who is fully engaged with God. And he's also a guy that in the area of family just kind of doesn't get it right on a lot of levels. He, he marries the daughter of Saul. And honestly, that, that, that relationship isn't the best of relationships. We know that somewhere in his, probably in his early 50s, he sees a woman bathing on a roof and decides he wants to have a, a, an adulterous relationship with her. Obviously, not a man after God's own heart in that description. He, he has that woman's husband killed and then marries that woman. Now, here's the thing. He says, I meditate on the law of the Lord day and the night. The law of the Lord would be the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the law that Moses had given. And the law of Moses is really clear. One man, one woman. We call that marriage. One, one, period. Not one and ten, not one and two, not one and a hundred, one and one. In the most liberal way, you might say one at a time, but one and one. That's it, period, one. And here's David, and, and, and he's married to Saul's daughter, and now he brings Bathsheba into the collection, but he's not done. Later in life, he marries yet another woman. Now, he's got this collection of women going, kind of like he's collecting cars. And you're like, what is this? Do you not value women? Do you not value what God says? What are you doing? Well, of course, Bathsheba and David have another son, and his name is Solomon. And Solomon takes what dad does in his sin, and he just puts it on steroids. He takes it to unbelievable levels. Now, remember of Solomon, we read that he is the wisest man in all the world. And the wisest man marries 600 women and has 300 concubines, 900 women in his house. I mean, figure that out. Come on, Solomon. What are you thinking? Because I know you too have read the book of the law. One man, one woman. Where in the world? How do you get beyond this to get to 900 women in your house? What are you thinking? What are you doing? Are you kidding me, really? And I look at that and I just, I get confused by that because the Bible is so abundantly clear. It's so abundantly clear, and yet they go ahead and violate the Bible so flagrantly. What's happening here? Well, I think part of what's happening is that David and Solomon do what we do. They get caught up in the climate of their times. They get caught up in the thinking of their times. And the thinking of their times, the climate of their times said, if you're a king, one of the ways that you demonstrate your power, one of the ways that you demonstrate the, 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 the vastness of your empire is to collect women as wives. And so they started adding one after another after another, even though God said one man, one woman, period, that's it. Not only that, but you would marry with people with whom with, with countries with whom you were uh, developing an alliance. So you're developing an alliance with Egypt? I'm going to marry one of your daughters. And part of the thinking there was, we probably won't go to war with each other if we're family. So they were falling for the thinking of their times rather than the law of the Lord upon which they, de they meditated day and night. And for me, I have taken that as a lesson throughout my life. I've tried to look and not say, David, Solomon, what were you thinking? But Dennis, where are you doing the same? Where are the places in your life that you might be following 
the thinking, the climate, the culture of your times rather than what the Word of God has to say quite directly. And I wonder, I just wonder, I'm not willing to say it today, but I wonder, I just wonder if one of the areas that we follow the climate of our times rather than the teaching of Scripture is in the area of serving. There are some things about the way we go about serving. There are some things about the way we motivate people to serve that I wonder if it has more to do with the psychology of how to motivate a baby boomer and how to motivate a millennial than it has to do with what Scripture has to say about what we're supposed to be doing in a serve. You had an era in the 80s and 90s when megachurches were coming on the scene, and the megachurches required a lot of volunteers, and their volunteers were baby boomers who, I'm one, most selfish generation that has ever dragged its knuckles across the face of the earth. We think everything's about us. We're willing to spend trillions of dollars and say, our kids will take care of it. We'll be dead. It won't matter. We don't think about anybody but us. How do you motivate a bunch of people who don't think about anything but themselves? Well, you feed their desires. You feed what feeds them. So what do you say? You say, if you serve, you'll find it to be fulfilling and rewarding and satisfying, and you'll find purpose and meaning in the serve. And so we, we play on that. Come on, do you want fulfillment? And then you're doing a serve, and it's not very fulfilling. You say, well, this must not be it. It's not fulfilling. Boom, I'm going to push it away. It's going to be a perfect fit. It'll match you to a T. It'll be expansive. What do we mean by expansive? We love the ladder, don't we? If I do this and do this well, I'll move to the next step and the next step and the next step. Now, Jesus says, if you're faithful in little things, you'll be ruler over many things. But we tend to think, if I do this well, I'll be promoted and I'll be promoted and I'll be promoted. We look for areas that are high impact, I want to make a high impact or, or areas that, that change the world. I want to make a difference. I want to help people. I really want to get involved in this stuff. All of this is used as ways of motivating us to get involved in a serve. And a serve is never supposed to be boring. They're always huge adventures. They're, they're low in conflict. If you're serving with Christians, nobody ever fights. We sing Kumbaya and get along all the time. And if you're not singing Kumbaya, it's time to find a new ministry. You will be appreciated. There will be dinners that will celebrate you. There will be cards that go out and thank you, thank you, thank you all the time. And most of all, you get to be a volunteer. When we hear the word volunteer, what do we think? I got a little bit of time that I want to give. I'll do it my way in my moment. Don't tell me what to do. And don't expect too much because I'm not being paid I'm just going to do what I can. All of these things we put out there to say, get involved in the serve. And I wonder, I just wonder if some of the things on that list have more to do with our culture than they have to do with the Bible. If, they're, if they have more to do with how to motivate human beings who live in America at this time than what Jesus said about serving. And so I spent some time looking at what did Jesus say about serving? It's interesting. He uses four different Greek words. Now, he spoke Aramaic, okay? So he's being translated into Greek. Four different Greek words to talk about the serve. The first one is the word. I'm going to give you some Greek today. Are you excited? I did not do this last week. You would have fallen asleep. But this week, you're wide awake. You've rested. 
The first word is lutrao, lutrao. This is the word that talks about being a servant, but, but it has a piece of religious service. This is a person who might be involved in offering a sacrifice or leading worship, doing something that's serving, but serving in the religious context. This is mentioned in Luke chapter 2 of Anna. You remember Anna, the prophetess? She's, she's 84 years old. She's living there in the temple. It says she never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. You're looking for the word serve. Well, they, they translate as she worshiped. Her worship and her serve went hand in hand. A piece of the way she was worshiping was being involved in the activities of the temple. So you have that piece of what's going on. The second, the second word that Jesus uses in order to define, uh, define serving is, is diakonos. Now, if you've done any study on serving at all, you've heard that word before, and you hear the word deacon hiding in there, or diaconate. You have that, you have that idea. This is a person who was in a little bit more formal role of serving, a formal role within the church of serving. But nonetheless, it's a way of referring to being a servant. Acts 16 Chapter 1 refers to a woman named Phoebe. She was a servant of the church in Cancria. It could literally say she was a deacon in the church of Cancria. She was one who was giving that form of service. This third one, I really, I love this one. Oiketes, oiketes. Oiketes is based on the Greek word oikos. You think it's yogurt, but actually oikos <laughs> Oikos is the Greek word for house, which I don't know why they named the yogurt house. But anyway, here we go. So an, oiko, an oiketes type of servant is, is a person, a domestic servant, a maid, a butler, someone who serves within a household. Not a, not a slave, they're not owned, but they're a servant to someone within a household. So we see Cornelius, when the angel spoke to him in Acts chapter 10, it says he called two of his servants, two of his oiketes, these people to come along with the devoted soldier. So you, you have these three words used, and there's one more, one more, and that's the word doulos. Doulos is the word for a slave. It just defines out-and-out -out slavery. I belong to someone else. Someone else is my master. Someone else is in charge. Someone else is calling the shots. I don't wake up in the morning and go, what am I going to do today? I wake up in the morning and say, what am I going to do today? I'm receiving orders. I'm not living by my own will. The Apostle Paul, when he's introducing himself to the churches, again and again will refer to himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. But I love it when he comes to the book of Philippians, he's introducing himself and Timothy to the church, and he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. He uses the word doulos here, slaves. We are slaves of Christ Jesus. We belong to Christ Jesus. He is our master. Now, here's what I find intriguing about these words. When you look at the first three, Lutrato, Lutrao, Diakonos, and Oiketes. All three of those are, they describe a position. They describe a role. Uh, Lutrao, that might be the role of a minister. Again, Diakonos, deacon. Oiketes, butler, maid, someone who serves on a household staff. These three are positional terms. The fourth one, though, doulos. Doulos is not positional. You don't have the position of a slave. It's not positional. It's relational. It describes your position in relationship to the master. I belong to someone else. 
I don't make my decisions on my day. Someone else tells me what I'm going to do. Now, Jesus uses all four words to describe the way we serve. And what we find as we dig into the words of Jesus is that, first of all, serving has a singular focus. It is a, sing- it is a very singular focus. Uh, this is a shotgun focus. Let, let, me, let me throw Sketty on the wall and see which one hits you. But, the, but Jesus has a singular focus. One thing matters to him when it comes to serving. So let's look at some of them. The first time he uses the word serve is in Matthew chapter 4. Now, Matthew chapter 4 is when he's being tested in the wilderness. So you're like, what is he doing talking about serving when he's being tested in the wilderness by the devil? You remember the devil takes him up to a high place. He says, I will give you all of this if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And those two words, worship and serve, go hand in hand. It's like he's saying the same thing twice. He's not really using two different words. He's saying worship is serving and serving is worship. The two go hand in hand. Paul uses the word a little bit later in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Bob, I think you referenced Romans 12, 1 this past week, a verse you all have been looking at. And Romans 12, 1 says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. I'm bringing a sacrifice to God, and the sacrifice I'm putting on the altar is me. This is your true and proper worship. If you memorized in the King James, like I did in Awana, you learn it as this is your reasonable act of service or it's your spiritual service of worship. I love that New American Standard uses both words or the ESV, it is your spiritual worship. Again, that's a word there. Three of them use the word worship, but it's the word for serving. I'm serving. I'm serving in a religious context. I'm bringing an offering to God. I'm doing something on God's behalf in his work. And what I learned from this as Jesus speaks is that serving is worship and worship is serving. That when I'm involved in really serving, my focus is going Godward. My eyes are going Godward. I'm paying attention to God the Father. Look at what he says in Matthew chapter 19, or chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. This is when he's talking about not storing up treasures on earth, but storing up treasures in heaven. And he comes to the end of this and he says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and, and be enslaved to money. With, with all the words serve listed there, he's using the word doulos. He's saying either God is your master or material things are your master. I look at that and I start asking the question more broadly. When I come to the serve, what's my master? Is my master fulfillment? Is my master that, that I'm, I have the perfect fit? It, it, what's my master in this? Because my motivation is revealing what, who, what or who my master really is when I come to the opportunity to serve. Jesus says in in Luke chapter 16, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Here is, he's saying, it's important to know that that God wants you to be trustworthy with little things, to not be dishonest with little things. If you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who who will give you the the, the property of their own? He's talking about this importance of, of paying attention. He keeps going in this, and again, he uses that same 
wording. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And it's interesting because he reflects on the Pharisees, and he says the Pharisees were listening to him, and they're listening with a mocking tone. They, they, what a joke you are, Jesus. And Jesus says to them, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of others, but God knows your heart. God digs into the heart when we're involved in that serve. He knows what's going on. I found it intriguing in the, in the, in the sentence that Jesus uses here. No servant is able to serve two masters. He uses servant, oiketes. He says, no one serving in the household, no one in that role of serving is able to be the slave of two masters. So you see the relationship there and what's going on. Jesus is using all of these words to define the serve, but he's basically saying we need to be careful because we will tend to want to serve two masters and we can't. We're either serving God, our singular focus, or we're serving some other, some other end. When it comes down to it, God knows why I'm serving. Do I? Do I? Have I examined my heart enough to know why I'm serving to know what my serve is really all about. I, I tell you what, I think sometimes some of our disappointments in serving, some of our frustrations in serving, the way it doesn't work out sometimes, if we would explore that a little bit, we'd find out a little bit more of who our master really is. What we've really been seeking in the serve instead of the singular focus of God himself. These words of Jesus are so convicting. He's, he's talking... In John chapter 4, he's met with this, this woman at the well. And his disciples have gone off to buy food. And they come back. And Jesus says, I am not hungry. And they're like, well, did you snack again without us? What's going on here? And Jesus says, my nourishment, the food I get, comes from doing the will of him who sent me and finishing his work. He says, I have this singular focus. God, my master has given me work to do. And I am focused on fulfilling that work Jesus even more clearly in John 6, 38 says, I have come down from heaven to do the will of him who sent me, not to do my own will. Serving has a singular focus, one focus and one focus alone. We serve to fulfill the desires of God. God has some things he wants to do in his world today. This is what I love. When Jesus is going off on these times to pray, what is he doing in those times to pray? What is it you desire for me to do today? Give me my assignment. Give me the list. Lead me to the person. Show me what it is you want me to do today. So often when we get involved in the serve, we decide what we want to do today. We try to control it. No, we're supposed, our singular focus is God. What do you desire? I'm paying attention to God and God alone and fulfilling his desires in this world. We saw it already, Ephesians 2.10. We are God's handiwork, we're his masterpiece, we're his work of art. He created us anew in Christ Jesus. Why? So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. If you are married, you know the, the dread frustration of having a plan for something and you find out your spouse has a different plan. And you're like, but my way is better. Why in the world will we do it that way? And you, and you have this tussle going on. I wonder how often we say, God, I know what I'm going to do today, and God is saying, but my way is better. You're supposed to be here to fulfill my desires, God says. 
not our own. God, what are you calling me to do today? I want to fulfill your desires. We look at the list. These are the things we want to fulfill, but we serve to fulfill the desires of God. I'm listening, Lord. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. What is it you want done today? Serving is a singular focus. And serving also has a twofold purpose. It has two parts that play in every one of our lives. In, Mar- in Matthew chapter 20, this is the version of, uh, of what Brian read a little bit ago from Mark chapter 10. In Matthew chapter 20, we have James and John, and mom comes along, and she, she asks this favor on behalf of her sons. You got two seats to either side of you. Would my, my kids sit there? Uh, well, when, you're, when, you're, when you arrive in heaven, I wonder, I really wonder if she expected him to say, but of course, sure, anytime. James John belongs to both of them. Jesus, of course, says it's not my place to give. There's some suffering to be realized. There's some things that are going to happen along the way. And I love it because after all this happened, it says the other disciples became indignant. I wish the rest of the verse said, because they didn't ask first, because they didn't get in line first. But Jesus called them together and says, you know the rulers of this world lorded over their people. The officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be the leader, so he's, he's talking about position. Whoever wants to be a leader must be a diakonos. You must be a servant. Position, position. But whoever wants to be first, whoever wants to rule, whoever wants to be the master, <laughs> must be a doulos. You must be the slave. For even the Son of Man did not come for the sake of being served. He came for the sake of serving. And don't miss the last part. And to give his life a ransom for many. Part of the reason the Son of God came is to die. To spend his life How often in a serve do we find ourselves saying, this is just too much. Are you dead yet? (laughs) How much? At what point do we say, I've given too much to our master? How about John 12? Jesus uses the word diakonos here. Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter his glory. I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. I've already planted some seeds. I'm so anxious. I know it's way too cold still. But I wanted to. I just had to. So they're planted. I'm ready for them to grow. I was willing to sacrifice those little seeds for the sake of something. They might actually grow. They're in the ground. It's death, I hope, will produce many new kernels, peas and all kinds of fun stuff. A plentiful harvest of new life. Those, whose love, those who love their life in this world are going to lose it. We grip so tightly to what we have, and he says, keep clenching, and you're going to lose it. You're going to lose it. But those who care nothing for their lives in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow after me because my servants must be where I am, and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. The call is there. Serving, but a piece of the serving is what? I'm dying to me. I'm dying to self. I'm dying to desires. I'm dying to my way. There's a death going on when I'm serving. There's a, it doesn't sound very fulfilling, does it? There's a death going on when I'm serving. There's a giving up going on when I'm serving. There's a releasing going on when I'm serving. 
John chapter 6. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen. If you do, you will have your reward. And he goes on to say, you're going to give? Do it in secret. Do it where nobody notices. Do it in such a way that everybody goes, who did that? We like to do pranks that way, like put mulch on people's cars and they don't know that you're the one that did it. But we like to do pranks that way, but we don't necessarily, we don't necessarily like to serve that way. No, we want... I'm about to do something special here, folks. Watch. Watch and learn. You know, part of the secrecy is a death. It's a death to me. It's a death to my ego. It's a death to, to me getting my way and being seen all the time. Jesus, God is using this serving for more than you changing the world. God is using this serving to change me, to change us. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. I love this line. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. One version says he now showed them the full extent of his love. And part of the reason I love that is because what's about to follow is this example of everybody sitting around the table going, I'm not washing feet. Are you washing? I'm not washing feet. Are you washing? I'm not washing. No, I'm too good for that. I'm not washing feet. And then we have Jesus get up, put on the towel, and wash the feet. And now they're all a little humiliated. And, and being a dad and being an oldest, I think, yeah, Jesus did this to say, come on, people, get it together. No. He did it because he loved them. And he wanted to love them to the very end. He gets up from having done that work. He says, do you understand what I've done? You call me teacher, you call me Lord, you call me master, rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you should also wash each other's feet. I've set an example that you should follow and do what I've done. Very truly, I tell you, no servant, no slave, no doulos, nobody who's owned by someone else is greater than the one who owns them. They're curios. No messenger is greater than the one that sent them. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Serving is a twofold purpose. I need to die. Serving kills me. I need to die so Christ can be seen in me. That's what it's all about. The singular focus is God and his desires. And the purpose is the death of me, the death of my ego, the, the, the death of, of, of everything that goes into me getting my way, doing my thing, the death of me, so that Christ can be seen in me. Paul said it so clearly in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And serving gives us the opportunity to show that Christ is truly living in me. And it's not about me. It's not about this list. It's not about this list. It's about things like surrender and submission and sacrifice and serving in secret. It's about doing the small thing that everybody else overlooks. It's about being completely spent in the cause of Christ. It's about being a slave. I love this because when it comes to serving, we think we're doing such a great work for God. Oh, we look for that opportunity to leave the big dent, to make a lasting impact. Wow, that was me, I did that. 
We think we serve to do a great work for God when in fact when we serve, God is doing a great work on us. And God is doing a great work in us. I just kind of suspect that years from now, if somebody looks back on the late 20th century, early 21st century church, they're going to say, why didn't they get it on service? They were so absorbed in being fulfilled. They were so absorbed in being satisfied and feeling rewarded. They were so, involved, so absorbed with, with getting the perfect fit. They were so absorbed with volunteering. And they missed the point that serving is all about doing the will of him who sent me and dying so Jesus can be seen in me. And so, Lord, we place ourselves before you in the areas that we need to. We ask your forgiveness. We ask your forgiveness for the ways and times that we have served selfishly. We've served to satisfy the self, the ego, rather than coming to fulfill the desires of the one who sent us. And God, that serve is going to involve daily deaths, things that are unpleasant, moments that are, unbore, that are boring, moments that will involve conflict, moments when we won't get our way. And it teaches us a, a consistent pattern of surrender, of humility, of putting aside the garment, putting on the towel, and washing a foot. Grow us as servants. Grow us as servants. Not that we would be have our faces plastered on some servant wall of fame. But that when people look at us, they'd say, so that's what Jesus looks like. Hmm. I always wondered. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we move to communion, let's commit ourselves to Jesus in the serve. He is my master. I am his slave. I belong to him. You might even, as you approach communion this morning, take that bread and cup, just ask, what is it you want me to do? I'm listening. I'm open to whatever you desire. Two tables at the front, three at the back, gluten-free on either side of the platform as well as a table in the back. Spend time reflecting, reflecting with Jesus about the serve. I think worship and serving have this in common. Both are intended for the sake of God the Father. He's the focus. When we worship, the focus is God. But we tend to make worship out about us. Did I like that song? Did they do it the way I wanted? All those, you know, hold up our card, 8 out of 10, that sort of thing. Um, we, we, we decide that somehow the worship was for us and not for the one intended. And serving, we can make it about us through that list instead of the one intended. But both worship and serving have this interesting, I'd refer to it as boomerang effect. When we do focus on God in worship, it's amazing how we'll walk away feeling fuller. When we do focus on God in the serve, it is amazing how sometimes we will find fulfillment and reward, and all those things will be there. 
But, but the issue was not to focus on the boomerang effect. The issue was to focus on God and to receive whatever blessing might come our way. It's not dissimilar to when we give someone a gift. Do you give them a gift because you want to give them a gift, or do you give them a gift because what you hope to get in return? It always is focused on God. And we might find all those things that are coming our way, but they come our way secondarily as the boomerang after we've given to God what fully belongs to him. So as we approach worship this morning, let's not approach it from the standpoint of, oh, that's my favorite song, or, oh, that's the perfect way to do that. But God, are you pleased with what you're hearing today? Are you pleased with what we're lifting up to you? And who knows? We might just receive the boomerang of well done, good and faithful servant. I love that today. I just love that today, God says to us. So let's stand and worship together. Both songs express a sincere desire. God, you're all I want. Spirit, you're all I want. I mean, we express the true desire of worship today. It's not about me. It's all about you. I'm completely focused on you. Now let's bring that to our serve. Let's bring that to our serve. Let's come to that place that we're able to say, God, today I'm waking up, my eyes are open, and all I want is what you want. Show me what you want to do in your world today through my hands and my feet, through my voice, through my life. Show me what you want. Be open to him. And in doing that, we will fulfill the words of Paul. We will offer up our lutreo. We will offer up our, our spiritual, worshipful service. It's not to say all those other things aren't there, but folks, when we focus on being fulfilled, when we focus on our fit, when we focus on all that stuff, we never get out of serving what God intended for us. God intended to deepen our relationship with him. God intended for us to die to ourselves, that Christ can be seen. So let's go show Jesus to people through the way we serve. See you next week.